0: I want to read you a few portions, a um, few paragraphs from a little book called Haley's Bible Handbook. If you don't have many study books or things at home, uh, Haley's Bible Handbook is one that was recommended to me when I was uh, um, early in my walk with the Lord. And it just gives a little information, background information, about every uh, book in the Bible. And he has some information about Nineveh that I wanna share with you as far as what God said would happen and what did happen. Greater Nineveh was about 30 miles long and about 10 miles wide. It was protected by five walls and three moats or canals built by forced labor of unnumbered thousands of foreign captives. Jonah's mention of 120,000 babes in Jonah suggests it might have had a population, he says, of near a million. The inner city of Nineveh proper was about three miles long and one and a half miles wide, built at the junction of the Tigris and Kosher rivers, was protected by walls 100 feet high and broad enough at the top to hold four chariots driven abreast, eight miles in circuit. Now, that's amazing, isn't it, to think how wide those walls were? When I think of a wall around a city, I think maybe, you know, like our block walls that or our fences, you know, but this, this four chariots wide. Okay, the fall of Nineveh in about 607 BC, some believe 612 BC, but it says within about 20, he says 20 years after Nahum's prediction, an army of Babylonians and Medes closed in on Nineveh. After two years of siege, a sudden rise of the river washed away part of the walls. Nahum had predicted that the river gates would be opened for the destroying army. Through the breach thus made, the attacking Babylonians and Medes swept in to their work of destruction. Prancing horses, cracking whips, rattling wheels, bounding raging chariots, flashing swords, great heaps of dead bodies. As I told you before, that sounds like a movie my husband would enjoy watching. It all came to pass exactly as Nahum had pictured it, and the bloody, vile city passed into oblivion. Um, There is a principal mound that is there that can be recognized now, east of the Tigris, just across from the modern city of Mosul. Mosul, it covers about 100 acres and is on an average about 90 feet high. And then it says um, that... There, it's about the size of three large city blocks. Uh, there was a library that they have discovered, and it says originally it contained probably 100,000 volumes, but about a third of it has been recovered and is in the British Museum. Now, Nineveh uh, was completely destroyed, and it was not even discovered until the 1800s. Um, different armies, one of which was Alexander the Great, had gone by there or fought there, and they didn't even know that there had ever been a city there because it was completely wiped out. But then in 1845, um, I think it was someone, uh, a British, um, uh, no, an Englishman, I guess that's British, but an Englishman had begun to um, dig to see if that was where the city of Nineveh Nineveh was. It had been so long since before it was discovered that people began to think that it was a mythical city, that it never really had existed. But then, of course, uh, man years later is able to prove what God has said all along. And so Nineveh was wiped out just as God said that it would be. So much of the Bible is God declaring what would happen before it ever did happen and so far everything that he has said would happen that has already been fulfilled happened just the way he said it would in numbers 23:19 we read god is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent he has said and will he not do or has he spoken and will he not make it good and then Titus 1.2 tells us that God cannot lie. First John 1 John 1.5 says, In him is no darkness at all. Because God has no darkness, lying is a sin. God does not sin. He cannot lie, um, and he does not lie. And Jesus declared he is the way, what? The truth and the life. He is the truth. We can and should and need to believe God. If he said it, he meant it. And when he speaks, it is true. What comes out of his mouth is truth. If, as we read, like when Jonah was sent to Nineveh and and foretold of the destruction um, that God had had said, God knew they were going to repent. So God doesn't change his mind, but he knows ahead of time and takes all that into consideration. So he knew he was not going to wipe them out when he sent Jonah to them. But he knew that they were gonna gonna go back to their evil, wicked, cruel ways and that their destruction would come. So we need to take God and we can take God at his word and we have his written word and we can believe what he has said in there. We need to know it, we need to believe it, and we can rely on God's word. Don't go by feelings, ladies, our feelings um, and our hearts can deceive us. Um, our feelings are fickle, aren 't they? And one day we might think, "Well, yeah, I believe it, or it 's true for someone else, but not true for me. No God. If God said it, it 's true. don 't go by what the world says. Because the world, as we uh, read in 1 John, is not of the Father. And don't go by what the enemy says. Satan is the author of lies. He's the father of lies. He deceives. He lies. He appears even as an angel of light so he can deceive others. But Satan cannot be trusted or believed. But believe God. Don't doubt him. And don't doubt what God says. Okay, obey God, number two. If he can be believed, and he can then the only wise thing for us to do is to what? Obey him. Obey what he says. God wants only the very, very best for us. So obeying him is in our very best interest. Yet so often we think we know better, don't we? And, uh, or we just don't care what he says, and we want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. Well, we live under grace but as Romans 6.1 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Or as King James Version says, God forbid. The New American Standard says, may it never be. Yes, we've been given freedom, but we have been given freedom from the power of sin, not a license to go sinning over anything we want because we're under grace. 1 Samuel Fifteen records the Lord's instructions to King Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites and all that they had. And he wasn't to spare anything, no human, no animal. They were Israel's enemy and they were a very vicious and vile people. Sounds like the Ninevites. But Saul disobeyed and he spared the king And he kept the best of their livestock, oxen, sheep, and he did not utterly destroy them. And evidently, he didn't destroy all the men either. So when Saul was confronted, though, he said the people spared the best to be offered as a sacrifice to the Lord. And I've shared this with you before. I know you know it. The Lord responded to... Saul in verses 22 and 23, and he said, "'Has the Lord as great delight "'in burnt offerings and sacrifices "'as in obeying the voice of the Lord? "'Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice "'and to heed than the fat of rams. "'For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, "'and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. "'Because you have rejected the word of the Lord.'" he has also rejected you from being king. And by the way, Samuel, the prophet at the time, who was representing the Lord, hacked Haggai, the king, into pieces before the Lord. Now, uh, um, Amalek is a type of the flesh. It represents the old nature, our sin nature. And if we give in, and we don't utterly destroy it, resist it, die to self, and we let it survive, it's going to fight against our new nature. Uh, Because the uh, Amalek's came back, and Haman was a descendant of them, and he was the one that plotted against the Jews and wanted to wipe out God's people. So we've got to utterly give in to that old nature, fight against our... Old and feed our new nature. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, daily die to self. Uh, Die to that old nature, to your sin nature. Pick up your cross and follow after him. In John 14, verse 21 and 23, Jesus was speaking and he said, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So if we believe the Lord and what he says, then we need to obey him. If we profess to love the Lord, then according to Jesus, we will obey him. We will keep his commandments. If he tells you to forgive, then forgive. It's not a feeling, but a choice of your will. If he tells you to stop smoking or drinking, then do it, because what he has for you is much better for you. <clears throat> Excuse me, if he tells you to break off a friendship with an unbeliever or a backslidden Christian, then do it for your own protection. I read once, if you're climbing up a ladder and you're trying to pull someone up behind you, you're going to lose your balance and probably fall off the ladder yourself. It's much easier, right, uh, to fall when when someone is behind you and you're trying to go up a ladder and they're not going up the ladder. You want to keep pressing on to the Lord. You don't want their disobedience, their rebellion to influence you in a negative way. If God tells you to go to church, then go to church. If he tells you to tell someone he loves them, then tell them that he loves them. Resist anything and everything and anyone and everyone that tells you not to obey God or to partially obey God. That's, that's, they're not from the Lord. In light of all he has done for us, obedience is the least that we can do. Obedience is the only right thing for us to do. He gave his only son to endure his wrath. We've been talking about the wrath that we learn of as God destroyed Nineveh because of their um, unrepentant ways. He gave them chance after chance, and then it was it was over. Jesus endured our punishment that we were due, and Jesus had given up the glory of heaven to come and walk among men, live as a man, to die in man's place, and as Easter is covered, Easter is coming, we need to be focusing on Jesus' death and resurrection yes it 's an empty tomb, but he had to go to the cross first, and we need to be more appreciative and have a deeper understanding and As we celebrate as believers, we should be honoring Jesus and what Easter is about, not all the Easter bunnies and eggs James one twenty two says be a doer of god 's word, not a hearer only deceiving yourselves, so if you 're disobedient. You're just deceiving yourself. So believe God and obey God. Number three, thank God. Because of all he has done for us, we should be filled to overflowing with gratitude every day. Through our study, we've learned about God's mercy, his patience, his loving kindness, his long-suffering. We've learned about how much we have been spared from his wrath because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And we've said it again and again. God is for us. He's not against us. So how can we not give him thanks? How can we not be thankful every day? In my morning devotions earlier this week, I read Psalm 69, verse 30 and 31. It says, I will praise the name of God with a song. <clears throat> and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull, which has horns and hooves. And you remember that the animal sacrifices that Saul was trying to justify his disobedience with and say they were going to offer sacrifices. And even in this psalm, we learn that God would rather have obedience and a grateful heart, a thankful heart, then all the sacrifices that you could offer unto him. The sacrifices in the Old Testament were, were man's way of trying to be right with God. Well, we have Jesus. <clears throat> it's through Jesus that we become right with God. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It changes our perspective. We need to be thankful because there's a lot that we could murmur and complain about. There's a lot in this world as we read the newspapers, as we look online, as we listen to the news, that we could just be negative all day. But that's not how God wants us to be. He wants us to focus on him, everything he's done, everything he is doing, and everything he promises to do and to give him thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you ever wake up and think, Lord, what's your will for me today? Well, this verse right here tells you what one aspect of his will is, it's to give him thanks. No matter what's going on, whatever your circumstance, whatever your season of life, because God is God, and as Shane was talking, we worship God, not because of how we feel or what's going on in our lives. We worship God because he's worthy. He is great and greatly to be praised. Even when we come and bring our requests and make them known to God, we're to bring them with what? Thanksgiving. He is so worthy of our thanks and our praise and our worship. Giving, giving thanks changes our perspective, our attitude, and our mood. And I've encouraged you to do this before. Do an alphabet of thanksgiving. Just even if you have to every day, make a list, write A through Z, and then write something for each of those letters. Make a word, something that you're thankful for, And it will help lift your spirits. It will help change if you're being oppressed or you're feeling depressed. um, It'll just remind you, you know, God is sovereign. Do an alphabet of praise. Another alphabet, A through Z, and write things that you know about his name, his character, his attributes. Every day you can thank him for the breath that you have, for the food that you have, for the clothing that you can wear. For your family, for your friends, for a church that teaches the Word of God, for forgiveness, for His presence, for His provision, for His protection, for His promises, <laughs> and of w- w- which um, of which is that He is coming again. That's a promise we need to every day thank Him for. That this life is temporary; we're passing through, and one day we are going to spend. All of the rest of eternity with him, whether he comes for us individually or he comes back for his church and we're all out of here. He is preparing a place and he is going to come again and we're going to be with him. No darkness, no sorrow, no sadness, no pain, no more tears, no more sin, no more trouble, no more financial worries, no more presidents or uh, terrorists to worry about. What a glorious day. Now let the Easter lesson, ladies, that you have to work on for next week, let it remind you of who your God is and all God has done on your behalf and what he continues to do every day on your behalf. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence with us and for all that you are, all that you do. We're just in awe, Lord, so help us to be grateful. Help us to obey you. Help help us to believe you, Lord. So by your spirit, we pray you work within us and through us for your glory as we wait your return. And Lord, I pray you bless the discussion groups, Lord, as they wrap up Nahum, uh, Nahum chapter three and as you remind us of what we've learned through Jonah and through Nahum. We just thank you so much, Lord. We have the freedom to open your word to freely discuss it, to learn and grow together. And we thank you for all you've done, Lord. May it produce good, lasting fruit in our lives, Lord, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.